Welcome to the Real Estate Trainer Podcast with your host, Brian Eisenhower. This podcast is brought to you by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. ICC provides customized and structured coaching and training programs for real estate agents and team leaders, representing many of the top producing agents in North America. ICC also offers broker and owner consulting on agents recruiting, training, and retention. For more info, visit EisenhowerCoaching.com or find us on Facebook. If you're going to get your buyer's offers accepted, you've got to be confident enough to motivate them to get aggressive. They've got to be able to waive things, tighten things up, offer above asking with the knowledge that the, you know, that the, the, the property is going to be worth, you know, 5% more in six months. You know, with regards to the market, again, seeming to push prices higher. Now we're getting threats of interest rates. I mean, we're getting threats of everything. I, I don't know how you, I mean, you, there is always some new article or study coming out to scare you in some manner. I don't, you know, there's some headline that's telling you something, you know, aliens are going to eat up all the interest rates. I don't know. There's something, there's always something crazy. I've been asking the gang to discuss what are some of the obstacles that we're running into from home sellers that are lacking urgency, wanting to wait because they're uncertain right now. And the first one we addressed was people just saying there wasn't inv any inventory out there. There's nothing I can find. What else you guys seeing out there right now? Is anybody getting stagnated because of interest rates? Yes, I am. See, I got Rick on a call. I saw a couple heads nodding out there too. Yeah. Thanks, Rick spoke up. Um, so quite a few heads I'm seeing now. Yeah, that one, I mean, I, I would expect to see that. Uh, let me talk about that just for one quick second because I want to show you a couple things on that. That's very normal, okay? It's very normal for, I mean, think about it. Like you got this house, you, you live in it, you got it locked in at, I don't know, you know, 3%, 4%, something astronomically low that you think is normal. That's super low. And why would you sell that and buy into a 5% rate? So I'm going to wait and see. I don't want to do that now. That seems like a bad financial move, right? What a lot of people don't get, so they stay put, okay? And then they stay put. And what happens when people stay put? That means they don't list their house. And if a whole pe bunch of people stay put and don't list their house, that actually reduces housing supply. And when we reduce housing supply without any other effectual change to demand, because guess what? We keep making babies, right? People keep turning 25 years old. You know what I'm saying? And they keep wanting to buy houses. I mean, that happened in the 80s when there was 17% interest rates. People still knew it was better to buy a house than rent. So people keep buying houses, yet there's less supply. Prices are going to go up faster because of increased interest rates. A lot of people don't realize this. You know why? Because we haven't had increased interest rates in a very long time. Right. So let me let me just take you a little down a, a little a little history lesson. That's how interest rates go up, right? So if rates do go up, which I'm not convinced they're going to, but let's say they do go up. You know, if you look back, here's 71 to 74, where interest rates started at 7.3 in that window and went up to 10%. Prices jumped 18% during that same window. You can see 77 to 80, we started at 8.7%, jumped to 16.3. Prices went up a whopping 52% in that window. That was the end of the Jimmy Carter era. Inflation went through the roof. 
it caused a very volatile economic recession. We're probably headed towards another one or election, I should say, where it's an economic based election. Here's 1980 to 81. Again, started at 12%, jumped to 18.4%. Home prices jumped 7.4%, et cetera. You can say 83 to 84, 87, 89, 93, 94. Every time there is a significant increase over a sustained period of time, we saw housing prices increase along with it. 2003 to 2006, we saw interest rates come back after they reduced them after 9-11. Um, they started to increase them to try to slow down the housing boom. A lot of people don't remember that. Rates went crazy. Rates went, it did not slow down home price growth. Home price growth kept going. So understand people that are waiting, yeah, you may be waiting for a lower rate, but your housing prices are going up just along with it. That's number one. That's if if rates continue to raise or rise. Understand rates may not necessarily continue to rise. Just because the Federal Reserve came out and said, we're planning on increasing rates steadily by a quarter percent throughout this year, that's a one point increase, a 1% increase over the course of a full year. Understand that's the federal funds rate. That's not the mortgage rate. The federal funds rate is the rate that banks lend to each other. That's trying to slow down an out of control, prosperous economy to cure inflation. Don't confuse inflation with appreciation. They are different things. And if you raise interest rates, it does not slow home prices like raising borrowing rates does to the value of business, sales, the economy, or businesses, I should say. The, the mortgage rate is actually tied to an open market algorithm, which is primarily dictated by the 10-year T-bill or treasury bond. Okay, purchases and sales of that based upon when people get out of the stock market and riskier investments and flee into buying treasury bonds. However, the government has learned in the last 20 years how to artificially <laughs> adjust mortgage rates. And they learned way back in the quantitative easing years of, 2000, of economic stimulus packages in 2007, eight, nine, that they could actually artificially keep rates low, even if the funds rate was higher. They learned they could buy back their own mortgage-backed securities, that they could drive people to and from purchase and sales of 10-year treasury bills. If the federal treasury, the United States treasury, purchased securities to keep rates low, so that we could recover as a country from the Great Recession. And that's the first time ever the government has been able to act independently of the Federal Reserve Board and control mortgage rates. Previous to that, mortgage rates did do a pretty good job of following the federal funds rate. Because if the rates, you know, if the Fed messed with the rates, investors would kind of follow suit with treasury bonds. Now, though, they, you know, everybody kind of knows, well, wait a minute, the government may get involved. It's very hard to predict when the government's going to justify the need to keep mortgage rates low. It's kind of hard to get in the mind of a guy who wants to be elected. For example, President Obama said, and I, and I know this gets a little heady, 
but I, I think you guys need to understand this if you want to be intelligent. President Obama had a good excuse. And again, I, I don't care about your politics either. So get that out of your freaking mind and start waking up. Like, come on, care for your family. You know, like don't, don't get it, you know, learn, you gotta learn about economics. Don't keep the politics out, don't be a sucker. If you're all caught up in politics, you are a sucker, man. Um, don't <laughs> don't fall prey to that crap. Um, <laughs> and you're gonna you're gonna start to see why. It doesn't matter which party you with; they all do the same thing, and they all spend a lot of money, um, and they all do it to get reelected. If you want to blame someone, blame our founding fathers. So here's what happens: if uh, you know Obama wanted, you know, he had to recover the whole country from the Great Recession, so. We spent billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars, buying back our own securities to artificially keep mortgage rates low so people could still afford to buy a home and it would keep the entire housing sector running and real estate running and keep the economy improving and recovering. That happened for eight years. Then Donald Trump was elected for four years. He was going to cut spending and be more frugal with the nation's budget, reduce it, you know, $8 trillion later. <laughs> um, he spent more than uh, more presidents in the last 30 years have ever spent. Why? Why did he buy back mortgage securities the entire time? COVID was the excuse that time, at least the last couple years of it. The first two years, he just didn't get around to it. And then it was, I'm thinking about reducing and stopping the quantitative easing in the hottest economy, of, but then it was COVID. We can't do that during COVID. We got to make sure the economy is strong during COVID. We got to let people buy, get mortgages at low rates. So we kept doing it. Now why? War in Russia, war in Russia, kept doing it. What's next? I don't know. Here's my guess. And no one said this yet, but I'd like to say it in front of a lot of you. So I can say I said it first. Housing prices are getting too expensive. Home ownership's becoming impossible. We have to keep mortgage rates low so that American citizens can still actually achieve the American dream. Otherwise, they're getting priced out of the market. Seems like a good one to me. You never know what excuse our politicians are gonna use to keep the economy pumping because no one really cares about inflation. People really care about making a lot of money. And if we can keep mortgage rates low, a lot of industries are positively affected. So don't be certain that mortgage rates are truly going to increase. If they don't, there's a lot of good reasons why the government can actually act independently and unilaterally apart from the Federal Reserve to keep rates low. And I, if I'm president, I wanna get reelected. And I think that pitch would work. I'd probably use that one. Albert, you're about to say something. I, could tell I was going to say, so are, uh, are you officially saying that your opinion is, is that at, when all this nets out at the end of the year, we'll be looking at low rates again, somehow? somehow. I'm not saying that. I, I'm not. I can't say, I, I would say that vote for Brian and you get low rates, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I keep them down. That's for darn. I will promise you that. I will keep those rates low and I'll have a good argument for how come. There you go, Francisco. Brian for president. Hashtag that thing. Get that out there. The well, Brian, uh, Brian, don't you think also that um, that you you made a really good point that the Fed funds rate is different than mortgage rates, and 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 one of the things um, about mortgage rates is they take into account what news they hear and what's happening. So isn't some of that increase already built in probably to where rates are today? Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely, I think they naturally do. Um, 
follow each other too. I think naturally mm -hmm. that's what happens. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and, and and the only reason that they've separated over time, I, I should get a graph. I'll get a graph together that shows you the federal funds rate with the with mortgage the uh, with the mortgage rate overlaid. Um, in fact, I think I do have a graph of that somewhere, just not mine. So it's copying somebody else's, but it shows like right in the great, I mean, right in that great recession, they separate. And that's when the feds took control of the mortgage rate and kept it real low ever since. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It is totally baked in. I, I, I think hundred percent, you're hundred percent correct. It, it's gotta be, that's the natural ebb and flow of an open market, you know, uh, economy. Which would work both ways, though, because if all of a sudden there was a new round of quantitative easing that was announced, that would immediately affect rates, even if that program didn't exist yet, um, and because they would be adjusted to the potential future that we'd be looking at. That's exactly right. Yeah. People would flee, flee out of safety and into that public risky safe because the government's putting its little security net out there saying, don't worry, you're not going to fall off the trapeze. I got you. You know what I mean? Like, we're not going to let anything that even smells like 2008 happen again. You know what I mean? All we have to do is just start printing more money. You know, we're just going to print that money and, and we can solve and soften any fall of the economy at the expense of inflation. True. But I just don't know that the, the appetite for inflation is that bad. I mean, yeah, we're angry about the gas pump and maybe a gallon of milk costs a little bit more and things like that. But, you know, no one wants 2008 again. So I, I think I, I have a feeling that the, the public can stomach inflation. They what they really don't want is a bad economy. Hey, guys. hey, Bob. Hey, how are you? Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention is that, you know, just like Wall Street, right? When when we see, you know, okay, decreases in stocks, you know, and uh, a ton of people selling, right? Then we find that buyers don't want to buy, right? Maybe they stay beside the sidelines. And what happens in, when interest rates go up? Well, we have buyers that are sitting on the sidelines, but we also have sellers. And so they wait two weeks, a month or two until the pain is is now they got to sell. Now they have an urgency because they're moving out of state. They got to relocate because of family. We always have sellers that have to sell and we always have buyers that have to buy. Right. You know, and, and so, I mean, I don't think I, I think as we ease up with these interest rates, I personally don't think we're going to see it back to 2.5 or some crazy number like that. Um, but I would say this, that we'll continue to have a strong, robust market because, first of all, we have a ton of equity, especially in California, way different than 2008. Um, you know, and then we also had the paper is way different that held by hedge funds now. You know, we had Bank of America, Wilshire Credit, Wells Fargo, all these banks, they had a ton of paper that had to liquidate. You know, they had the mortgage-backed securities. They have to answer to these investors. And now it's it's just way, way different with like Blackstone, Invitation Homes and, and so forth. So I just think the makeup of what we have today is way different. Now we, we did see an increase in foreclosures. We went from something like 1.9 million to 2.1. Um, so, but there's a lot more in the market. I do think we'll see some markets within the U.S. that will be affected differently, right? Same areas that we always see, Detroit, Indiana, some of these other areas that are way different, right? When we see property values go from 75,000 to now it's selling at 195 and 200 and they're jumping like 50,000. Those are way different markets than what we're in. Um, so, I mean, I think it's really interesting, but I, I think our 
if we hit a recession, it's going to be way different. It's not going to be a housing recession that we saw in 2008. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I definitely going to be different than that. There's no, I mean, the, the, the market conditions, the economics of the two time periods couldn't be, couldn't be more different. And if anything, we're looking at more of an 80s setup, you know, Ryan, where do you want to be? Do you want to own real estate with high inflation or do you want to own stocks? I would say real estate or even worse cash, have a bunch of cash Cash is the worst thing that you can have. Yeah. Yeah. David just found this. So I want to share it for you. Thank you, David. Yeah. You were picking up what I was putting down. It was like me. You can see here, here, this red line down here is the federal funds rate. So what happened is, and this is the federal funds rate when the feds just dropped the funds rate all the way down. I mean, 2.5% is as low as you can ever imagine in the whole world. Um, And then to have it drop down in the start of COVID basically, and they've Mm -hmm. held it flat the whole time. You can see the mortgage interest rate, which is, we'll say the 30 year is the blue line. I mm-hmm. guess the green is like your adjustable rate. Mm-hmm. Pretty similar though, too. You can see how that mortgage interest rate moved down with it. And what happened is the government was buying back mortgage backed securities during this time too, trying to encourage, um, you know, basically real estate expenditures during this time too. And right. they actually acted to try to move it down. Now they couldn't go all the way down. Right. Um, but you can see how it was following naturally here. And then it starts to separate here. And if we go back, that's one thing this this chart doesn't show, which I, I can find that one too. If you go back 20 years, you'll start to see there was major separation between the two rates during that great recession period as well too. They just moved in different directions. So don't think because the Federal Reserve Chair says something, it's really necessarily going to impact that funds rate. I mean, what, well, let me just show you this too at the end. Well, and, and to that, that's what I was going to say at the end, Brian, you see that the mortgage rates are already up a point. Before the feds the do Fed anything. Fund, Fed funds rate is not going to go up a point for the next, I mean, it's going to take a year for it to go up a point. That's right. Right in here. That's that's the part I was, I, I glossed right over. You can see this whole year, mortgage rates started climbing. Fed's fund rate, nothing to do with that. It stayed nice and flat during that period. Mm-hmm. So you will see there's a natural correlation between the two. Mm-hmm. But don't think just because someone says we're going to move something a quarter point that things are going to necessarily act out the same way. And I say that I just don't want you guys. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that understand business and they're more into stocks and trading and or economics. And if you're out there saying the Fed's just raised mortgage rates, you're not going to sound like a knowledgeable human being because the feds just don't do that. And we want you all to appear very knowledgeable out there, um, if that makes sense. So kind of keep that in mind. Um, If you scroll back, let me just make one other point on the same line here. Here's your mortgage rate. You know, I, I guess that's over the past 50 years, right? You go back, you know, here's the 80s. And I, I would say, you know, based on this chart, at least offhand, the average rate during the 80s is probably somewhere around, you know, 12, 13%. And you can kind of see during this time, we had extreme volatility. I mean, you had rates jumping up, down, up, down, up, all the way down, back up again. You had, you had massive volatility. Yes, they slowly came back to normal. Um, but this was 
the roaring 80s. And there was a slow downward trend all the way through um, until we, you know, we got into this, this period here of justifiable economic recovery, <laughs> um, where we started buying back mortgage-backed securities to keep those rates low for the most part so we could justify coming out of that great recession that occurred in here, okay? However, throughout this time, we always, I mean, you're looking at an average rate here over the last 50 years of somewhere around seven, 8%. This is the roaring 80s, guys. I mean, in the roaring 80s, we had amazing providence, economic providence. I mean, we had prosperity beyond belief in the 80s. I mean, those were the years of, you know, Miami Vice and cocaine. I mean, we're talking, I mean, people were spending money out the wazoo. I mean, it was, people were driving Ferraris. Look at Albert. I always do that. I, I yeah. The, uh, I'm good for a couple of those. Each <laughs> Somebody plus. It would be a Brian Eisenhower mastermind if there I There you go. Yes. yes. Okay. David used to it too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, but look, I mean, if you look at that going back over time, I mean, look what happened to prices throughout the eighties. I mean, it, I mean, prices went up in the sixties and the seventies. Yeah, but we got a little steeper up here. We jumped a little bit faster in the, in the roaring eighties, man, the Reagan years. That was, that was the time prices just went up. I mean, all that interest rate fluctuation and look at that steady climb. Look at that thing, you know, um, prices kept going. So waiting around is extremely dangerous, um, extreme. You can always refinance if rates come back down. You can't do that with home prices. I mean, look at the last 50 years here. I mean, this is that whopping great recession we talked about. Ooh, big deal. I mean, all you had to do is kind of sit tight for four or five years and you were fine. Brian, that's a huge point that you just made there. You can always refinance a rate that you don't like in the future, but you can't refinance the price of your house. Yeah. You know that's what great movie came out in the 80s? Back to the Future. There is no DeLorean. You are not going back in time. <laughs> can't do it. Yeah, the best time on this chart to buy is the further left you can get the further left you can get. And that takes a DeLorean to move that direction. Like you gotta be able to go back to the future with Michael J. Freakin' Fox and go backwards to buy a house that cheap. But you can wait for interest rates. There we go. Okay, so here's our graph. You saw the 70s and 80s, right? You saw the 80s? Okay, and then you can see how prices have continued to skyrocket the whole time, despite this one great recession in here. Sorry, I was I meant to be talking through this the whole time. And the best way you can go is farther left on this graph. We have to go, you know what I mean? You can't go back in time to grab these prices. Now, if I overlay this with mortgage rates, you can see rates go up, down, all over the place. You know what I mean? They right. come back around, that kind of stuff. You can even buy rates down. But housing prices, you can't. You're stuck with that. Those don't, I mean, we've just had in the last, you know, since the Great Depression, you know, 100 years ago or whatever, We've all, we only see this about this little tiny discount window of just a few years where you get about a 10, 20% discount on the, on the median price pop up once a century. And even then it's just a discount. You know, you could be upset if you bought right here at the peak in June of 2006, 
But if you're really worried about it, just wait around till 2010 and you get it back. And then we keep going or 2011 or 12, whatever that was. I guess these peaks are a little bit off, but yes, you get it. Makes sense? So this is the key to watch here. The rates should not control your prices. Now, one thing I will tell you, if rates do continue to go up, they might impact sales volume. So it's really important that you guys educate yourself because here, you know, you always worry about, you know, what do we need agents for? What do we need agents for? You know, why are they using me? I see it all the time. You have to be more knowledgeable than the public. And most of the public doesn't understand. They think there's one real estate market out there. They'll say, how's the real estate market? I hear it's hot. I hear it's slow. Understand there's two real estate markets that the, that the public talks about. And you need to know the difference between the two. The media especially talks about two different ones and they don't even understand it. One, which matters most to our clients and the public is housing prices going up or down, which we've been talking about. A hot market means prices are going up. A cold, bad market means prices are dropping. We as agents really shouldn't care much about that because we make money either way. You buy in a panic or you sell in a panic. You get that? We just like there to be transactions. <laughs> so there's tons of agents that made tons of money in 2007, 8, 9, and 10 when it was a perceived bad real estate market because so many people were panic selling. And if you weren't one of them and you think I'm different, then you were kind of missing the boat on how to shift your business and make money in that market. The other type of real estate market out there is the one that Albert, David, and all of you guys care about. That is how much sales volume <clears throat> is being conducted because prices can still go up if there aren't any sales. If there aren't any sales, that means there may not be many listings. If there's not many listings, that means there may not be many sales, which means agents are making less money. Brokerages are making less money. That can happen. So I do want, now it doesn't happen a lot. Like it's, you know, that if, if and that can also happen in, in, a, in a hot buyer's market. There could be lots of listings, but no one wants to buy because they think prices are going down even further. Hence the Great Depression, the Great Recession. So you see sales volume decrease. Sales volume can decrease by 20, 30%. That's enough to make a real estate agent's profit margin go away, a brokerage's profit margin go away. Now, again, I don't think this is happening. So would everybody perk up? I was just because but... there's no evidence that we've seen that yet. If anything, we've only seen an increased sales volume in our local MLSs. Uh, that doesn't make you say that Tuesday next week could be a completely different world because that's how, that's how things change, right? But as of right now, we are seeing nothing but increased sales volume. That's exactly, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. We're seeing that's across the country too. That's across the country. We're seeing more sales everywhere. And that's despite, because, but, but if the, if the, if mortgage rates, if the Fed got crazy and said, we're going to increase rates 1% a quarter because inflation's out of control, we got to keep your two gallons of milk cheap, keep oil prices low. 
and we're going to increase 1% a quarter. And then we're not going to mess with mortgage-backed securities and we're just going to let it go. And interest rates skyrocketed to 9%, which is not going to happen. But let's say it did. That might cause a lot of people just to not list their house for sale and say, I'm staying put. Thank God I got 3%. And that might hurt sales volume. So it can hurt sales volume. So when you see articles out there and blog posts and, and commentary about, hey, the real estate market's cooling, understand which one they're talking about. Right now, neither of them are cool. But you're gonna see a lot of articles and commentary where they say they are. And here's why they say that. March federal, March pending sales was down 0.05% over 2021 March pending sales. Understand March 2021 had more pending sales than any March in the history of this country by far. And this March was off by 0.05%. <laughs> that's a real close second place. And that's just March. February, we blasted last year out of the water. But the press will look for any story they can find. So if they're gonna say it's cooling because it's off 0.05% from the hottest year in history for one given you know, 31 day period, okay. But understand that's what they so read the article, look in there and oh, that's talking about sales volume. That's one of the two markets out there. It has nothing to do with sales prices or home prices, that's sales volume. Real important to know those two markets because oh, when we talk about the real estate market or the housing market, it's always one of those two that we're talking about. We're either talking about home prices or we're talking about sales volume and we're putting a thermometer on. Both of which look super hot. Okay. Both of which look super hot. So that's your idea. That's where I want to make sure we keep our keep our eyeballs. Let me show you one more chart here that I think is really important that I don't think I've shown many of you. The big push behind everything I think we know without question is supply and demand, right? That's what drives the home prices and home values. So when we take a look at that, here's a timeline going back to July 15th, okay, of housing supply. And you can see housing supply has slowly been dropping, nice and slowly. You know, and of course it's based on seasonality. So there's no housing supply in the winter. And then it goes back up, everybody lists their homes in spring. It gets pretty, azaleas come out and it's the summer and everybody buys them up over the summer. And then we go into the fall and it's the winter and everybody takes their houses off the market. And then we go into the spring and summer and then we go into the winter and then we go in the spring and summer and then we go into the winter and we go in the spring and summer, then boom, COVID hits. And you can see it slowly dropping and then COVID hits and wow, boom, we fly all the way down. People buy like crazy. People start hoarding, interest rates drop. David showed you the federal funds rate dropped, mortgage rates dropped. All of a sudden people really value their houses. They want other people's houses. They want more houses. They want more house. They want houses with offices, with big garages so they could have gyms. You know, we start printing economic stimulus monies. Everybody's got, everybody's getting rich. Everybody's buying 
extra cars. Now they need four car garages. You know, everything's going nuts. You know, back to the cocaine again. Just kidding. I don't know what's happening with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kidding, kidding. So then that happens. All that goes down. And now here we go. Now we're kind of cruising back along that same pattern down here. So it's like, well, is this going to come back? Is this ever going to come back? And here's here is why we all feel, and everybody, including all the biggest investment banking houses, real estate investment trust, hedge fund managers, all those really intelligent people that are trained to analyze industries, I always refer to them as the smart money, knows housing prices have to keep going up, which is unimaginable. Like, how is that sustainable? Um, people just don't get it. Um, how is that going to keep going up? And I go, well, it really doesn't have a choice but to. And here's why. If we look back at, at, at this chart, we can talk about why is housing inventory so low? Well, you can see how many houses we built in America um, based on the U.S. Census. And then leading up to that housing boom that we had previously before that Great Recession, you can see, look at how many homes we were building leading up to that, going all the way back to 1990, where we're building above the national average. And then it got real wacky up here. Then we had a recession. You know, I mean, we're talking people jumping out of windows on Wall Street, you know, Morgan Stanley's going under, you name it, Lehman Brothers, bloodbath. And look at how much we've been. And then, you know, Lennar goes out of business or Syntex goes out of business and Pulte goes out. All the national home builders go out of business. People start building one house at a time, not 1,000. Look at how many homes we've been building for the next decade or so. I mean, next to nothing. And th actually, I have an updated slide I'm going to show you too. I, I actually updated that slide because we just got last year's numbers in. Um, through 2021, it almost mirrored 2020. Sorry, I've been working on this. But based on the, you can see 2021, same deal. We're still losing ground on supply. We've underbuilt ourselves forever. So we just don't have enough houses to meet demand. And it's crazy. So 2021, I mean, we're really just back in the same problem we were in 2020, not much different from previous years. We need to, I mean, to get, to get caught up, we got to start building up in this range. We're losing ground. It's getting worse and worse. And guys, it takes forever to catch housing supply up. It's not like you can just make it happen. Like you got to buy land, you got to subdivide it, you got to get it approved, you got to build it, finance it, put streets, bring utilities in. You got to rely on the utilities. So people are asking like, why do you know, why, why don't we build more houses? They're trying, but they're not really around. Most of the guys that were capable of building large houses in mass went bankrupt and they disappeared. There aren't many national home builders anymore. Lennar is about the only one that's of any decent size. McMillan's gone. DR Horton's really only in California. I mean, there aren't, I mean, if you ask David about Kansas City, there is no big home builders. They all build one house at a time, maybe yep. two, right, David? In the whole yep. city, millions the whole of people. Entire city. Millions yep. of people. There is no one that doesn't build two or three houses at once or more than that. Yep. It takes forever. So why are builders not building more houses? 
I don't know. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? They're chicken. Buck, buck. I mean, that's the problem. They, they literally are afraid of what happened back in 2008. They don't want to stick their neck out like a chicken. They don't. I'm tying this back. So they don't want to get out there and get stuck. So now we need it and no one's ready to go. But I mean, even if they want to build, I guarantee you, if you know a builder, ask them, they're gonna be like, well, I got to build, but now I'm waiting on the city. Now I'm waiting on the, the, you know, the, the, the surveyor. It takes a long time, even if you, if you're ready, it's not a slow process. Everyone right now is finally learning. We've known about it because we've been barking about it, Albert and I, for a long time at you. But finally, the press is picking up on it. It's probably going to take two or three years before they even get it going, let alone start making a dent in the problem. And here's, I mean, I've shown you this before, but I'm going to do it again. So this is Jimmy Stewart, you know, way back in the day. It's a wonderful life. Great Depression. You know, his bank went under. Um, you know, all the mortgages on people's houses wasn't working. Uh, you know, everything went down and real estate caused that one too. And you can see we stopped after that, we stopped building houses, but we started making babies again. Other than that, every other decade, these are in decades, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the amount of homes we built was pretty much relative to the amount of population growth we've had. And that was true in the 2000s. But look what happened from 2010 to 2020. Holy moly, did we upset the apple cart. I mean, we had so much population growth, even in the 2010s, because of what happened in eight, nine, and 10, we had a pretty big discrepancy there. Now look at this. I mean, we just did not build any houses for 10 years. And like I said, in 2020 and 21, I showed you on our previous graph, we didn't get any better. We got worse. We created more separation. That is why, and I'm going to say it, most people like Warren Buffett, most big hedge fund fund managers, Jamie Dimon, JP Morgan Chase came out and said it just a few days ago. They expect housing prices to increase at above average rate, which means above 5% a year, at least for the next five to 10 years. And then you say, well, how can anyone afford it? And then what do they say? They're not going to be able to tough cookies. Most people aren't going to be able to buy a house, but there's going to be rich people that are going to fill the gap and buy a lot of rentals for you people who can't afford it. And that's what they're doing. That's why Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway are buying hundreds of thousands of houses. That's why every hedge fund in America is buying houses. That's why we showed you that a 60 Minutes video two weeks ago of all these major investor groups buying houses across the country. You don't need affordability anymore because home ownership is the American dream, not necessarily the American reality. Is that good, bad? I don't know. Don't hate the messenger. I'm just, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. I'm just kind of telling you what's happening and why people are predicting it. Because we had, you know, we had home ownership at about 75%. A couple years ago, it's down to like 60 something percent now. But if you go back 20 or 30 years, man, it was down below 50%. It was really the American dream. See what I'm saying? It may be that again. 
Because all those people that are having babies, they have to have a roof over their head. They just don't need to have to own it. Hey, Brian, I, I think you're right. But the weird thing is, is that I don't feel comfortable necessarily talking about that and let it outside of this context. Mm -hmm. I think if you oh, look yeah. at data, no, I get it. If I'm you look trying at the data, we're probably confidence. looking at a decade all right, yeah. of a similar market that looks similar to this. Way to rein me back in. That's a good point because... <laughs> That's yeah, we should actually host it like a podcast. But if you attended any of the sales meetings and and listened to the various vendors that would come up in front of our agents right now, for the most part, if you're if they're in the mortgage business, they're you know, they kind of sound a lot like Eeyore right now. Yeah. Uh because they've just, you know, gone through their big refi bus. Oh yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, this is a whole different conversation if you're yeah, if you're in the loan business, then this is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a whole other game right now. You're you're, you're yeah, refi. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, that's it's a tough time. You know, they've been living yeah. high on the hog for a while here. But yeah, no, it's it's a definitely a shift for them. But no, the reason I tell you this, yeah, with regards to like people not being able to buy and stuff, I mean, technically it's, you know, that is a little bit of blockbusting. You're telling people to hurry up and buy, you're gonna miss out on ever, ever being able to buy a house again. I think that may be allowed, but I, I wouldn't go around scaring people. Um, but I do want you to have that certainty because you, if you're going to get your buyer's offers accepted, you've got to be confident enough to motivate them to get aggressive. They've got to be able to waive things, tighten things up, you know, offer above asking with the knowledge that the, you know, that the, the, the property is going to be worth, you know, 5% more in six months. You know what I mean? That, that equity will get caught up and you've got to have that confidence to drive the bus with them. Because if you don't give them that confidence, they're going to sit like a deer in the headlights, which is how we started this conversation. Do nothing and really, really regret that they didn't buy earlier on that chart of housing prices. Because I think every one of us, myself included, can say, man, I wish I had bought more investment properties 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Think of how much they'd be worth today. And that really hasn't changed for 100 years. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Trainer Podcast, sponsored by Eisenhower Coaching and Consulting. For more information about real estate coaching or to watch Brian's training videos, check out therealestatetrainer.com or find us on social media. And remember, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they're available.